A federal judge in April 2015 dismissed a consolidated class action lawsuit filed against health insurer Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield in the wake of a 2013 data breach that affected nearly 840,000 individuals. Similar to court decisions in many other data breach cases, the judge dismissed the Horizon case because the plaintiffs did not demonstrate that they had suffered harm as a result of the breach. But now a U.S. appeals court has ruled to vacate that lower court's decision. So what's the significance of this appeals court ruling in the Horizon case and potentially to other class action suits involving data breaches? I'm Marian Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Stephen Tepler of the Abbott Law Group, who has represented plaintiffs in other large data breach cases. Stephen, who is not involved with the Horizon case, will give us his analysis on the recent ruling by the appeals court vacating the lower court's earlier ruling to dismiss the Horizon breach case. So now, Stephen, for starters, please briefly explain the gist of the lower court's original decision to dismiss the lawsuit against Horizon, and on what grounds did the appeals court decide to vacate that lower court's decision to dismiss the case? For those legally inclined, it can get very very nuanced, but in general, what the lower court did was dismiss this for failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted a legal claim. And the the dismissal was based on a federal rule, 12B1, and invoked what is a provision in the Constitution known as Article III standing. And Article III standing has been used for, in, especially in class actions, for determining whether a plaintiff or a party has a cognizable cause of action, an injury, a cognizable injury. And the lower court dismissed on that basis. And what the appellate court did was review this on the basis of an appeal that there was uh, Article III standing. And so this is what we're faced with now. There are three elements of an Article III standing for Article III standing compliance. And to satisfy these requirements, there has to be an injury in fact or an invasion of what the court calls a legally protected interest. That is, and these are the court's own words, the Supreme Court's own words, concrete and particularized. Second, there has to be a causal connection between the injury and the conduct complained of. And third, a likelihood that the injury can be redressable, can be, can be fixed, can be made whole, or can be addressed in some way or redressed or compensated by a favorable decision. This decision centers entirely on the injury and facts element of standing and more specifically on the concreteness requirement on that element. And the question is whether or not a violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is a statute that provides for both statutory damages as well as what we call injunctive relief or non-compensatory damages, has the satisfies the requisite injury in fact prong of the standing requirements under the Constitution. And the court in this case held that it does. Some circuits do. Some circuits had not. This circuit has. And claiming that the injury in fact element, according to their circuit, is not Mount Everest. All right. And they're not defined, but they're very generous, requiring only that, um, that someone who makes a claim allege a specific identifiable 
type or what the court has known as as a trifle of injury. So what does that mean? Does that mean that the appeals court says that there could be some injury to plaintiffs that were affected by the data breach uh, according to the Fair Credit Reporting Act? Yeah, the, the plaintiffs argued that the violation of the statutory rights under the Fair Credit Reporting Act gave rise to a cognizable and concrete injury that satisfies the standing, the, the, the concreteness prong of the, of the standing requirements. And the trial court, the district court, rejected it, concluding that there were some sort of specific additional requirements beyond mere violation of statutory and common law rights. And this is now uh, a pretty much a hotly contested, hotly contested, conflicted decisional path that circuits have taken. They've taken, uh, some circuits have decided that you need more than a mere statutory violation, even if there is a, a monetary statutory penalty that automatically gets imposed for the violation and that you have to have some sort of particularized injury to you rather than the grant of a, a of a statutory award for a violation. And there was also that the violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act also placed the plaintiffs at immediate continuing risk of harm, identity theft, medical fraud, all the things that can happen when your medical records get leaked out into the public and are marketed and used by criminals. So now that the appeals court ruled to vacate that lower court's decision to dismiss the case, what's next? Does this case return to the lower court to proceed, and then what happens? Short answer is yes, it gets remanded for what the court said. We will therefore vacate the district court's order of dismissal and remand for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. Oh, my. That's very, very common terminology for saying you, the trial court, may now presume, must now presume, that there is an injury. In fact, in the next the next portion, the next stage of and the next phase of litigation may now take place, which is that the parties will undergo it doesn't mean that one party wins or doesn't win, but wins or loses, but it means that the litigation can proceed past the motion to dismiss stage, which throws out a claim pretty much after a or very, very relatively quickly or soon after a complaint is filed rather than going through the the discovery process, which can be protracted and expensive and lead to further litigation. So the next step would be discovery, and after that there would be motion practice, there would be summary judgment practice and motion cert class certification motion practice, which basically takes the legal analysis to the next step, which is, are there enough facts to support from which a jury could find, well, number one, that that addresses and satisfies the class action requirements of numerosity, commonality, and typicality. We don't need to discuss that here, but also provides enough facts, sufficient facts that a jury reasonably can find in favor of the plaintiff. So, Stephen, as I mentioned earlier, we have seen a lot of courts dismiss breach cases. What's significant about this appeals court ruling? Have we seen many other appeals courts reverse or you know, vacate the lower court's rulings to dismiss these cases? And what impact do you think this ruling might have on other class action lawsuits involving data breaches moving forward? Moving forward, it means that you have a, a more a clearer standard 
in the Third Circuit and the Third Circuit states. So any federal courts in the Third Circuit will have to follow that decision because that now becomes binding precedent, binding precedent on all federal district courts in, in that circuit. So for, for New Jersey and for Pennsylvania and for Delaware and the Virgin Islands, this is binding precedent, and that means that in adjudicating whether or not there's, um, there is Article III standing, that prong of that requirement may now be satisfied by just alleging that there has been a violation, a statutory violation or a common law violation and not show that there was damage or injury perhaps that extends beyond what the penalties for the statutory violation might be. So bottom line, that sounds to me like bad news for any organization in those districts that have a data breach and find themselves uh, being sued later? It certainly makes them more susceptible to a lawsuit. If you're located or could be sued in that jurisdiction, it does. There are other jurisdictions which are a little, which take a different tack and require more than that. I think there was a case out of the Seventh Circuit uh, in which there was not sufficient standing alleged. It wasn't a statutory violation, but clearly in the absence of a statutory violation, you'll have to show, even in jurisdictions like this, you'll have to show some concrete and particularized injury. The issue is whether or not you can use a statutory violation to presume to presume Article III standing, to presume that injury, in fact, that the Constitution requires if you're going to be suing in federal court. And in this instance, in the Third Circuit, the answer is yes. So, Stephen, in terms of the class action lawsuit that was filed against Horizon, anything that's unique or different or novel that we don't see in other breach cases that you think might have influenced the appeals court's decision in this case? Anything that stands out about the breach itself, perhaps? What makes this somewhat unique is that this is a combination not only of a Fair Credit Reporting Act violation, perhaps, but which has statutory damages that are um, that are associated with it, that are provided by the Fair Credit Reporting Act, but also have to do with the exfiltration of medical records, which are certainly more prone to result in identity theft, fraud, compromise, fraudulent medical records, fraudulent medical charges, et cetera, et cetera, that accompany that Fair Credit Reporting Act violation as well. So I think that in that way, it's somewhat unique. And finally, Stephen, when it comes to other entities suffering huge data breaches, as well as organizations that are trying hard to prevent those sorts of incidents from happening, what's the most important lesson you think that they should glean from this Horizon lawsuit so far? Well, I'll probably sound like a broken record because we, you know, in our conversations, we always come back to the same thing, which is you have to be cognizant of emerging and, you know, present and emerging threats to your information ecosystem. And whether or not you pay attention will make you much, much more susceptible to a problem like Horizon Head. And you really have to do, not only be cognizant, you have to take action on a periodic basis, one, to implement proper policies and procedures, and two, to maintain them. And simple as that. It's 
compare it to driving in a car. Every day that you drive in a car is a new day. Every day you have to be mindful of traffic, mindful of stop signs, mindful of pedestrians. It's because you did it yesterday, because you drove correctly and safely yesterday, does not mean that you can not drive safely and correctly today. It is an ongoing responsibility and an ongoing chore and task. Thanks, Stephen. I've been speaking to attorney Stephen Tepler. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.